All right, Ephesians chapter 2 and starting from verse 11. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were uh, called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Now, that's an important thing to remember. They were proud of the fact that they were uh, circumcised. In other words, they were proud of the fact that they were following and living by the law or that came by Moses. But the, uh, what Paul is saying here is, even though they were proud of what they did to their bodies, and even though they were proud of the fact that they were living according to the law of Moses, he says, it only did something, affected only their bodies and not their hearts. All right? Verse 12, it says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. Now, this is, again, Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church there. And so now he says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from uh, citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Right? You lived in this world. He's talking to all the Gentiles, meaning he's talking to people who are not uh, uh, Jews. And he's saying, it doesn't matter what country, what race, what ethnicity, what religion, what background you're from. He says, you were living in this world, but you were living without God and without hope. But he says, but now. Everyone say, but now. He says, it was that way up to one point, but he says, verse 13, he says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. He's talking to the people in the church there, and he says, hey, it was like you were strangers. It was that you had no relationship. But now, he says, you've been unified with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. Now, verse 12 is letting us know that as Gentiles, we were without covenant and without hope. He says, there, there was a covenant God had with Israel, so there was a covenant uh, uh, they're present there, and there was a God that they knew that was present there, and therefore, because there was a covenant and there was a God of that covenant, there was also hope. But if you were not part of that nation, and if you're not part of the tribe of Israel or the nation of Israel, he says, now you were living in this world, but you had no God, and you had no covenant, and you had no hope in this world. Now, verse 13 says, now as believers, you once were people without covenant and people without hope. But now he says, now you have a covenant and you have a hope. Okay? So no matter what kind of situation uh, you may be in or what things might look like in your life, you are never without hope. You're never without hope. No matter what the doctor said, there is always hope. No matter what your spouse said, there is always hope. No matter what the lawyer said, there is always hope. Somebody say, I have hope today. All right. Now, when he's talking about the covenant, what is this word covenant? And, and what covenant is, is he specifically talking about? Now, in the Bible, many of you uh, know that there is the old covenant and the... Come on, old covenant and the... New Covenant, right? Well, uh, many of your Bibles will have it written as Old Testament in the front, and then somewhere in the middle, uh, you will see another page, uh, a blank page, and then it'll say New Testament, all right? So Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, all right? Now, 
Um, um, guys, if you can put the uh, table on the screen, please. Now, I want you to understand that primarily out of these two covenants that we have, the old covenant and the new covenant, um, the old covenant was a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. Okay? It was a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. All right. Now, in the old covenant, if you're taking notes, uh, all right, good. Thank you, guys. Um, in the old covenant, the old covenant was primarily based on the law. All right. Now, the difference between the old and new is the new covenant is primarily based on the grace of God. All right. It's based on the grace of God. Number two, the agreement is with the Jewish people. The old covenant, the agreement is with the Jewish people. The agreement is not with the entire world. We, that's something very important for us to realize. Right? It's not with the entire world, but it is only with the Jewish people. Now, here, the agreement is with Jesus. Now, this is, this is something also very important to understand. The agreement did not necessarily happen with you and me. Okay? The agreement happened with Jesus. All right, next. The old covenant, the Bible says that the, the letter of the covenant kills. It always led to death. Why did it lead to death? Because nobody could live based on the agreement of the old covenant. And because they could not live based on the old agreement, it would always lead them to the curse. It would always lead them to death. It did not bring life to them. It always brought death to them. All right. Now next, it says um, it was all about man's lack of faithfulness. So God says, I want you to do A, B, C, D, E, F. And if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, then you get this, 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 this. All right. Guess what? Nobody could do it perfectly. And so it, it highlights, and it's all about man's lack of faithfulness to that particular covenant or to that particular agreement. Now, when it comes to the new covenant, it is all about the faithfulness of... Come on, all about the faithfulness of... Again, you, the, the important part is this. It's not about your faithfulness. It's not about your faithfulness. Okay? So it's about here, it is about the lack of our faithfulness or the lack of the faithfulness of the Jewish people. Now, they represent us as well in that uh, scenario. No, it doesn't matter what ethnic tribe or what country, the color of your skin. When we stand before the law of God, none of us can do it. And therefore, it talks about the lack of faithfulness of man. And here it's all about the faithfulness of Jesus. Or, uh, number five, it shines a light on sin. Why? Because of the old covenant, Every single time you, you look at the Ten Commandments, every single time you think about the 613 commandments, I, and, and by the way, if anybody uh, uh, is wondering why, Pastor, do you not give the exact number, why do you say 600 plus commandments? Is because the, technically, according to the law of Moses, it's 613, so that's the technical answer, but then the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would keep piling onto the list. They kept piling onto that list. So it was not an exact number. Yes, the law that came by Moses had 613, but it didn't stop there. See, last week we talked about the various different kinds of laws that we find in this earth. And I talked to you about the religious laws or the laws of men. And so the laws kept on adding. And that's the reason why I say 600 plus, and I don't give you an exact number to that. Okay? Now, he says uh, it shines a light on sin. Here, it, it shines the light on the perfection of God's Son. Or you can say, it shines a light on the perfection of Jesus Christ. Again, what's missing here? You and I are missing here. 
It's not shining a light on our perfection. It's not shining a light on our unfaithfulness. It is shining a light on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. All right? Now next, ver- uh, I keep saying verse 6, uh, or uh, 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 point 6, all right? It says, given to bring out man's sins. Given to bring out man's sins. And I'll explain what I mean by that uh, uh, during this message, all right? And here, it's given to make man holy. It's given so that we can be made holy. You could also say it was given to make us righteous. Another word that can be used there as well. Okay? Next, number seven. The old covenant, the law, condemns us. It condemns us. Why? Because we can't live up to it. And whenever we can't live up to it, there's condemnation that comes over our lives. All right? It condemns. But here, it justifies. The new covenant doesn't condemn. The new covenant justifies us. All right? Number eight, it brings sin consciousness. When you're living under the law, it brings sin consciousness. Sin consciousness. You're always aware. Again, that's why you can be a a Christian who has a Bible, comes to church regularly and all of that. But if you're living based on the law, If you're living based on, okay, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. If you're always thinking about your life from the point uh, of, uh, what should I not do? What should I not do? What should I not do? Rather than what what do I need to do, you're always thinking about, you know, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. Are you understanding that? Then you're always conscious of, oh, the, the Bible says I do not and I did it. And what's happening? You're becoming conscious of, Sin. It brings sin conscious. Here's number eight. It brings Jesus consciousness. It brings Jesus consciousness. Now, you can say it brings righteousness consciousness as well, and you would be perfectly right, but I'm going to the foundation of it, which is the only reason we can be righteous conscious is because we are Jesus conscious. Without Jesus, you cannot be righteousness conscious. Okay? Now, righteousness consciousness, again, or Jesus consciousness simply means that we are conscious of the fact that we've been made right with God. We have a right standing with God. Amen? All right. Number nine. It covers sin for a year. It covers sin for a year. And lastly here, it takes sin away. It takes sin away. Now, this are, here are some of the most important distinctions between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay? Now, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'll just give you a brief example of what it was like under the Old Covenant. Deuteronomy 28, and starting from verse 1, it says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commands, which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you, overtake you, because you, uh, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen? Amazing portion of scripture. A lot of times, many of you might have read this, and you know from verse 3 to verse 14, it talks about the various blessings that God was going to pour out on the people. However, we miss one important point here. 
And that point is, in verse 1, he says, to observe carefully how many of his commands? Come on, how many? Now, what does all mean? All. But you know how we think about this? All means do your best. We think all means if I do 50%, if I show 50% obedience, then I get 50% blessing. Mm -mm, not the case. We think if I do 75% obedience, then I get 75% of the blessing. Mm -mm, not the case. He says you will get the blessing if you obey all. Now, go with me to verse 15. See, the law is always talking about complete compliance, complete obedience. Verse 15 of the same chapter says this. He says, so verse 3 to 14, he talks about all the blessings. Verse 15, he says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, then all these curses, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now think about this. This is not, you know, if, so if I show 50% disobedience, then I get 50% of the curse. Uh-uh. What it is saying is, even if you do 90% obedience and 10% of disobedience, you get 100% of the curse. How many of you like that deal? 98% obedience, 2% disobedience, get 100% of the curse. That's what the law is saying. But see, a lot of times we say, but, but, but no, 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 I, I showed 50% obedience. I should get 50% of the blessing. Not the case. You get 100% of the curse because you did not obey 50% of the time. Are you understanding this? So you ask the question, well, pastor, then how is it possible that the nation of Israel even survived. The only way the nation of Israel survived is through the shedding of blood. The only way the nation of Israel survived was by the sacrificial system that God placed immediately after giving the law. Immediately. The next thing God tells them after giving the law is, here's the way of escape. He knows you and I cannot do it. He knew the people cannot do it. And so he introduces up to that point, there was no sacrificial system for the removal of sin. Now you bring the law, God gives them the law, and immediately he says, you can't do it, so here's the way of escape. Everyone getting it? All right, now go with me to, um, uh, let's go to James chapter 2, please. Just to reiterate this, James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point. How many points? In one point, what happens? He is guilty of all. He is guilty of all. So at the end of the day, you are found guilty. At the end of the day, you are found guilty. Go to Romans 5.20, please. Romans 5.20. I'll be going through a bunch of scripture today, so please... Uh, 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 make a note of it and meditate during the week on these uh, um, uh, portions of Scripture as well. Romans 5.20, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. You see, why was it given? So that it, they, we could see how sinful we are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. All right? Now, if... if uh, um, 
because it is showing us the sin. Does this mean the law is bad? Does this mean the law was a bad idea? Go with me to Romans 7, 7, please. Romans 7 and 7. It says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. The law is not sinful. The law is not bad. He says, of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Verse 12 in the same chapter, he says, but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. Verse 13, but how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purpose. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the law was introduced. The law is not bad. The law is right. The law is good. The law is holy. So what's the problem, pastor? The problem is the law can only show us our faults. But the law cannot change our nature. The law cannot change the heart. It can put some fear in you of punishment. But how many of you know the fear of punishment, as I mentioned last week, is not going to change somebody's heart. It may delay certain things. They might be afraid and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to do it this time. But on the inside, they're always looking for the opportunity to do it the next time. So the law can only show what is wrong, but the law cannot bring about any change from the inside out. All right. Now, that's why when Paul was saying the Paul, uh, about the uh, Jewish people, he said they were circumcised, but the only thing that it did for them was what? Affect their bodies. He says it didn't change anything on the inside. Their heart was not changed. All right. Now, go with me to Galatians chapter 3, 19. 3, 19 says, why then was the law given? So why give it in the first place? It says it was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. Again, reiterating that point. It was given to show people sin, show, show their sin, not to change their heart, not to change their behavior. All right. Then it goes on to say, but the law was designed to, only, to last only until. Now stop there. All right. Take the scripture off the screen, please. All right. It says the law was only there until, meaning what? There's an expiration date. Okay, one person is happy about that. There's an expiration date to the law. Now, how many of you, when you go to the grocery store, buy some milk and uh, don't care about the expiration date and you use it later on? Anyone does, it, does anyone do that? You always check for the, the date. And if it's past the date, you don't say, mm, milk is still good for me, and you start drinking it. How many of you do that? Why? Because if you consume anything after it has expired, it will mess you up. It will mess you up. Now, the Bible is saying, there's something that took place in the Bible under the Old Covenant that has a 
that's a, that has an expiration date. And that is the law. And that is the law. Now, how many of us realize we don't pay attention to that expiration date? And we keep going back to the law. And we say, give me more of the law. Give me more of the law. Give me more of the law. Why? Because then I will stop sinning. Then I will stop sinning. Then I will stop sinning. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because the law will not change who you are. The law doesn't have the capacity to change who you are. It is good, it is right, it is holy, but does not have the capacity to change you. And yet, we hear sermons and sermons are preached without having to understand. Last week or the week before, I've been preaching a lot, so I don't, I don't remember when I said this. But remember, Paul writes and says, there are people who are teaching the law. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, there are people who are teaching the law, not knowing anything about the law. So we take up scripture, for example, Deuteronomy 28, and we say, see, God will bless. Yes, sure, God will bless. But when is the question. And then you go back to verses 1 and 2. See, if you obey the Lord your God, if you obey all his commandments, then all these blessings will come upon you. And I can preach that from this pulpit, and majority of Christians will say, good preaching, good preaching, good preaching. Not knowing the fact that that commandment cannot be sustained by you. Not knowing the fact that you cannot live that kind of life. Not knowing the fact you cannot keep all the commandments of God in your own strength and in your own ability. And that's why the nation of Israel would try and try and try. And yet, no change on the inside. So here he says, but put that up on the screen again. But the law was designed to last only until... Until when, pastor? Until the coming of the child who was promised. Now, who is that person the Bible is talking about? Jesus Christ. Here's my simple question. Has Jesus Christ come into this world? Guess what? Something expired. Now, I know a lot of you are not convinced yet. That's okay. That's why I said I have a bunch of scripture today. All right, let's go. He says, God gave this, his law, through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. All right? See, this, this is not easy for people to digest. So let's take a deeper look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 56. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Because it's, you, you know why it's hard? See, one of the hardest things to change in this world is a religious mind. It's the toughest thing to change. It's not a sinful person. It's not a sinful mind. It's a religious mind that's, that's, the, most, the, the, that's the toughest to change. Not a sinful mind. It's the religious one. That's the toughest. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. It says, for sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. You can check it in your own Bibles. I just didn't make that up. 
That's why it's good to bring your own Bibles, even if we put the scriptures on the screen. You need to double-check everything I preach. You need to double-check anything any preacher preaches. All right? So what does it say? For sin is the sting that results in... All right? We can agree that. No problem. But here's the issue. What gives sin its power? See, if, if you didn't read that, come on, tell me what, sin, what, what, what uh, gives sin power. Oh, pastor, it's the devil. Really? What does it say here? The law. Give sin its power. See, you sin, the law makes you aware of it, and you are condemned, and that leads to death. You sin, the law makes you aware of that sin, and that brings in condemnation, guilt, shame, and that leads to death, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, I'll read it for you in the Amplified. It says, now sin is the sting of death, and sin exercises its power upon the soul, upon the soul. That's where that condemnation, that's where that shame, that's where that guilt begins to take a grip of you. He says, and, and uh, through the soul, through the abuse of the law, through the abuse of the law. Romans 3, verses 19 and 20, please. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Let's go there quickly. Obviously, the law amplifies to those uh, to whom it was given. Applies, sorry, not amplifies. The, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses, to show them that the entire world is guilty before God. So now, here's a, qu a quick quiz. When we talk about the law of Moses, who was it given to? Come on. Be confident. Who was the Mosaic law given to? Good job. It was given to the nation of Israel, not to the entire world. However, what, what, what law was given to the entire world? Okay, we need a quick revision. Guys, oh, thank you. Good job. It says, the law of Moses was given to who? For a small group of people for a short period of time. Got it? But when it comes to the law of God, who was it given to? Everybody, everywhere, for all of time. All right? So when you're talking about the Mosaic law, you're talking about only those people. It applies to those people. But when we're talking about the law of God, it applies to everybody. And here he says, based on that, we have no excuses. All of us know we're guilty. Every, it doesn't matter what religion you talk to. Go, go talk to anybody. They will admit to the fact that they have sinned in their life. Doesn't matter what religion. Doesn't matter what continent. They will agree to the fact that they have done wrong in their life. Why? Because the law of God is written on their hearts, in their conscience. Okay? Now, he goes on to say, verse 20, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Please get that. For no one can be ever made right. How many people? Nobody. Not the pastor, not the bishop, not the pope, nobody. Nobody can ever be made right with God. In other words, no one can be made righteous by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Again, I'm just pounding that point in that the law was not given to change your heart. 
The law was not given to change your behavior. Only to reveal, show the sin that was already present. All right? Now, um, so verse 20 says that the law simply shows us how sinful we are. It said, therefore, the law was given to reveal sin, and the old covenant was based on the law. Write that down. The law was given to reveal sin, and the old covenant was based on the law. In other words, the old covenant, if you choose to live under the old covenant, it will only continue to reveal what? Sin. Right? Now, based on that, should we completely get rid of the law? Look at what Paul says, Romans 3.31. Romans 3.31. He says, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? He says, of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. We don't forget the law. We understand, however, that we don't live by the law. We understand the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was what? To reveal sin. So we don't throw that away. Because if we throw that away, there's nothing to reveal sin. Now, you, that can be about the law of Moses and also about the law of God. I hope you're gaining understanding now when you compare those two things. All right? Now, um, go with me to... Now, now, when he says this, he says, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. See, you cannot forget the law of God when, when we're talking about this. But by faith, you have fulfilled the law. How? Through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Moses and the law of God were fulfilled were fulfilled. And you cannot do this on your own strength and your own ability. Galatians 2.16, please. Right, a couple of scriptures and then we'll move into the new covenant quickly. Galatians 2.16. It says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. We'll be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one will ever be made right by obeying the law. Please get this. No one will ever be made right by obeying the law. Now when he says, May, now, now, now let me bring it to your everyday life. What does that mean? No one will be ever made right. That means no one can have their confidence that they have a right standing with God because they kept the law. Now, how does this play out in our everyday life? Oh, this past week, I did not get upset with anyone. I did not lie to my boss. I did not say I was sick when I was not sick. I did not steal anything from my company. I was nice to my spouse. I loved my spouse. I was nice to my children. And I prayed uh, 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 seven days out of this week. And I uh, read my Bible seven days. And therefore, because I did all of these great things, now I have confidence in God. And that's where you are wrong. That's where you're wrong. 
As soon as your confidence increases based on your performance, you, my friend, are a self-righteous person. And self-righteousness is unrighteousness. That is no different from what every and any other religion in this world teaches. The problem is, we just slap the Christian label on it and call it Christianity. Every religion will tell you the same thing. Do right, do right, do right, do right, have confidence before God. Here, he says, no confidence in the flesh. You know why I'm confident when I pray? Because of Jesus. See, what, what, one of the things the Old Testament amplifies was sin consciousness. The New Covenant amplifies what? Jesus consciousness. So when I have a great week and I read my Bible every morning before I do anything else and I pray and I spend time in the presence of God and I come to church, you know, and I attend not only Sunday service, but I attend the Bible study. Not only do I attend the Bible study, but I attend every prayer call that happens. I attend every cell meeting that takes place in the church and I'm doing all things right and you know my spouse is in love with me because I did everything right by her. My children love me because I spent enough time with them. My boss loves me because I fulfilled all the projects and I'm doing really good. And in that week, when you come before God and you're coming out of that confidence, you are wrong. Here's what we need to do. When you have that kind of week and you come into the presence of God and you are praying for something, you still do it because of Jesus. Now, on another week, when you, when you were barely able to read your Bible twice that week, when you were barely able to spend one hour in prayer for the entire week, when you and your wife had a terrible fight, when your children do not like you because of the discipline that you showed them, when your boss doesn't understand what is taking place in your house and he's upset that you didn't do the project on time, where, how do you go before the presence of God? You still go by faith in Jesus Christ, full of confidence. Full of confidence. Why? Because it's not with by me to begin with in the first place. It's not based on me. It's not based on me. Last week we read from 1 John chapter 2. What did it say? Don't sin. But if you do, the first thing that should be on our minds is Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. Don't become sin conscious. Become Jesus conscious. Okay? Galatians 2, uh, jump down a couple of verses to verse 21. It says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. And that's a powerful phrase. You need to circle that, underline that. And you've got to ask yourself the question, how in my life am I treating or making the grace of God meaningless? How am I doing that in my life? Because Paul says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, which means there is a possibility you can treat the grace of God as meaningless. And the religious mind will say this, you know how you treat the grace of God as meaningless? Or you continue in your sin, you do terrible things to people, you don't spend enough time with God, you don't love God enough, you don't trust God enough, that's how you make it meaningless. Nope. That's not how you make God meaningless. 
The way you make God's grace meaningless is by you trying to do things in your own strength and ability. The way you make the grace of God meaningless is by you living under an expired covenant. It's like, it, it's like this. My wife and I, we provide food for our children. That's our responsibility. They're too young. That's my responsibility. That's my wife's responsibility. It's our responsibility to buy milk and put it in the fridge. It's our responsibility to make sure that the milk that is in the fridge is not expired. But now, the grace that we show to the kids it's like if the kids come, look at the expiration date and still say, you know, I guess this is the best that God, uh, uh, my parents can give us. And so we'll just continue to drink expired milk. That's how they make the grace that comes from our lives meaningless. Why? Because we are more than willing to give them good milk. And they keep going back to what? The expired milk. That's how you make it meaningless. They don't make my grace meaningless by constantly drinking more of good milk. Drink all you want. I've got more. I can buy every packet in the store if you want. You're not going to, my daughters are not going to offend me and, and I'm not going to get upset with them by saying, how much money do you want me to spend on your milk? No. They don't have to drink expired milk. Why? The grace is present. And you and I don't have to depend on the law when the grace is present. He goes on to say, For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Circle that, underline that, highlight that, put stars around it. If you could do it, Jesus just wasted his time. No point in Jesus showing up. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. All right. It says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. Christ did what? He accomplished the, the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Another way of saying it is this. Christ has already accomplished the purpose of the law that was given. Therefore, because we believe in him, you and I have also accomplished the purpose of the law that it was given. Amen? All right. Okay. Let's, let's shift to the new covenant very quickly. Hebrews chapter 8, please. If you're taking notes, write the new covenant, and maybe in brackets you can write, the covenant of grace, or the grace covenant. Remember, when we first put the table up, I said the first covenant, or the old covenant, was based on the law. The second covenant, or the new covenant, was based on grace. All right, so you can call it the covenant of grace, or the grace covenant. Roman, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, and starting from verse 6. It says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior of the old priesthood, uh, for he is the one who mediates. Now, old priesthood, under the old covenant, there was a role that the old priesthood priest played. But now he says, who is our high priest? 
Come on, who is our high priest? Everybody awake? Just check on your neighbor to make sure that they're awake, all right? Now, who is our high priest? Jesus is our high priest, all right? He says, for us, a far better, he mediates. So this high priest is mediating something. And what is he mediating? He's mediating for us a far better covenant with God. He is mediating a far better covenant with God based on better promises. A better covenant with better promises. So there was the old covenant with promises. But there is a new covenant with new and better promises. There are new features in this new one. Don't stay with the old. There's new stuff coming. And then he goes on to say, verse 7, If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. And there's so much there. There's so much there. He says, if the first was good, if it was really that good, no need for the second one. Here's the important part, that last part, the R word. Said what? For a second covenant to to what? To replace means I've got to first remove something that was already there. And here's what we try to do. I'll, the old one, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Jesus, thank you for the new one. Uh, both. Both. I'll balance both. I'll balance both, Jesus. I want the spoiled milk and the fresh milk. I'll mix both of them now. Do you know what happens when you mix good milk and spoiled milk? Perfect. And that's how many of us try to live the Christian life. Make sense? That's how we try to live the Christian life. Oh, Jesus, I, uh, God, I thank you for the old. Oh, I thank you for the new. I thank you for the new. But let me hold on. I want both. No, don't, don't take anything. Don't take anything. What is God saying? No. Give this. I've given you something better. I've given you something better. A better covenant with better promises. And who is the high priest? Jesus. Now, every single time we try to go back, what we're saying is we want a high priest from the old covenant. We think he does a better job than what Jesus can do. See, that's why you frustrate the grace of God in your life not with a sinful attitude, not with a sinful mind. You frustrate the grace of God with a self-righteous religious mind more than a sinful mind. Now, that's tough to take in. I realize that. 
but it's still the truth. That's the reason why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had such a tough time with Jesus. And the sinful people, Jesus had no problems with them. You're a prostitute? Come on, I want to talk to you. Oh, you're the guy who steals all the money from the poor? Come on, I want to talk to you. Oh, you're the leper guy. You're cursed? Come on, I want to talk to you. You think you're condemned? That's okay, come, I want to talk to you. Oh, the others won't touch you? It's okay, I'll touch you, come here. Oh, they're afraid they'll get the virus? They're afraid they'll get the, the, the leprosy? They're afraid they'll get the curse? Don't worry, I'm not. He says, come, I'll touch. Come. I'll heal. Come, I'll restore. Come, I'll provide. But when it came to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you brood of vipers. Not a compliment. Why? Because of their self-righteousness. See, the religious mind is one of the hardest minds to change. Right? Let's keep going. Man, again, we can spend the entire service just on that verse, verse 7. Underline it, put sparkles, whatever, stars, everything. Meditate on that during this week. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Hebrews 10 and verse 9. He says, then he said, look. I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into. I'm just giving you scriptures because I know certain things that I'm saying is really tough to digest. And so I'm just giving you scripture after scripture to let you know I'm not making anything up. He cancels the first. How strong is that? How powerful is that? How life-giving is that? How life-giving is that? Remember I said the old covenant condemns. It kills. Do you cancel that? you know what you canceled? You canceled condemnation. You canceled death. That's why Paul writing, he says, the letter killeth, but the spirit, he says, it gives life. See, when you understand this, it will not cause you to sin more. It will not. It gives life to you. It changes you from the inside out. So Jesus said, I've canceled the old agreement. And we've got millions of people who are trying to live based on a canceled covenant. 
based on a canceled agreement. So I, I need this visa. I need to get the job. I need to get married to this person. I need these things to happen in my life. So, so the way I'm going to build my confidence that God will answer my prayer is to do a bunch of religious things. And he says, it's expired. It's canceled. We're not doing it that way. We're not living under the old covenant. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. See, the law was perfect, but because of our sinful nature... It can't do anything. It can only reveal. So God did what the law could not do. What was it the law could not do? It could not change us. So what did he do? He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so, we, so that the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled, satis fully satisfied for us uh, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. We don't follow the sinful nature. Why? Because that nature is not who we are any longer. You're made a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the reason why now because there is a new nature on the inside of you, whenever you sin, you're not comfortable after you sin. The reason is because you've got a new nature. Something changed on the inside of you. That's why he, he didn't say that you will never sin, but he said now the propensity for sin is going to be different. The relationship that you have with sin is going to be different. He says, so don't sin, he says, but if you do sin, think of the advocate Jesus Christ. Think of the advocate Jesus Christ. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8, please. All right, we'll go to two more places and then I'll quit. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8. However, he finds fault with them, showing its inadequacy uh, when he says, Behold, the days will come, says the Lord. Okay, this is about the future. Uh, uh, he's quoting stuff from the Old Covenant or from the Old Testament. He says, he, uh, says the Lord, when I will make and ratify a new covenant or agreement. See, in the Old Testament, he said, through the prophets, he says, there's coming a day when I will make and ratify a new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. And then he says, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, verse 9, I, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers. It will not be like the covenant. It will not be like the old covenant. Pastor, what you're saying is so different. Yes, you know why? Because it should be different. He says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand to help them and, and relieve them and to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not abide in my agreement with them. You see that? 
The, the old covenant had an agreement. So he says, for they did not abide in my agreement with them, so I withdrew my favor and disregarded them, says the Lord. Because they did not keep the deal. Because they did not keep the deal, they worshipped other gods, they went away in their own direction, in their own wisdom, according to their own thinking patterns. And so he says, because of that, he says, I withdrew my favor and disregarded them. Now when you read that, here's how you need to read from New Covenant understanding. The New Covenant understanding, when you read that, the thing that needs to spark in your mind is, man, I, I better keep my agreement with God, because if I don't keep my agreement with God, the way God dis, uh, uh, disregarded them, God's going to disregard me. That's how many Christians read that. That's not how you should read it. You know how you should read it? Put it up on the screen again, please. He says, I withdrew my favor and disregarded them. Which means, because your covenant is nothing like the old covenant, the opposite of that is true for you. Which means, he is never going to withdraw his favor and disregard you. He will never. Now you, you might be saying, but pastor, even I don't keep my end. That's why the new covenant was not with you. You remember the foundation? It was the one thing absent in the new covenant is you and me. Who was present? You know who's not going to mess up this agreement? And because he's not going to mess up that agreement, guess what? God's favor upon your life will never be withdrawn. You will never be disregarded by God. But pastor, what if I lie to my boss? You will never be disregarded by God. Pastor, what if me and my wife have an argument? God's favor will still be upon your life. Well, Pastor, no, 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 no. If you say that, you know, too many disagreements in my house then. Pastor, too many lies to my boss. No, no, no. Remember what we finished reading earlier. He said, we no longer live by the sinful nature, but we live by the Spirit of God. Because when you get this, life changes. There's Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation. How is that possible, my friend? How is that even possible? To have no condemnation. The only way it is possible to have no condemnation is to be aware of Jesus Christ. The only way you will have no condemnation in your life is the more conscious you are of Jesus, the more you will be free from condemnation. Is this helping anybody? Yes, All right, verse 10. It says, for this is the covenant 
that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now, we're getting to the point where he's talking about the new covenant. He says, this is the covenant I will make. What is that, Lord? All right. He says, I will imprint my laws upon their minds and even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding and engrave them upon their hearts. Now the law will not be written on tablets. It will not be on stone. It will not be on a scroll. It will be on you and on me, on the inside of me. On the inside of me, there's something new that is being done. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, verse uh, uh, verse 10, he says, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be their God. See, when, when, when when you read that, don't just think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God will be up there. No, no, no. He will be your God. Get this, no matter what situation you are in right now, you are with God. You are with Him. He is with you. Not based on your faithfulness. He is with you based on His faithfulness to you. Based on His faithfulness to you. Then he says, verse 11, and it, will, and it will never more be necessary for each one to teach his neighbor and his fellow citizen or each one his brother saying, no, perceive, have knowledge of and get acquainted by experience with the Lord. For all will know me from the smallest to the greatest of them. Verse 12, for I will be merciful. Now get this, this is the, this is the most important thing about the new covenant. He says, why, you know, the new covenant is different from the old. We understand that. But what makes it different from the old? This is one of the most important things that makes this different from the old. He says, verse 12, For I will be merciful and gracious towards their sins, and I will remember their deeds of unrighteousness no more. This is the major difference between the old and the new. And how many of us live with consciousness of sin and the fear of sin and the punishment of sin and the condemnation that comes from sin? I did this, so God must be judging me. Oh, I did this, God must be closing the door. I did that, and that's why I'm getting cursed. I did that, and that's why I failed the exam. I did this, and that's why my marriage is broken. I did something else, and that's why the business had to shut down. And we constantly beat ourselves up we beat ourselves down why because we live under the expired covenant we live under the old or some might say no 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 no, pastor I believe in the new covenant I live in the new covenant yeah but do you live with an old covenant mindset it's like living in a free country always thinking we're still not an independent country or a free country. It's like living in India in 2021, thinking you're still ruled by the Britishers. Not the case. It was once that way, but not today. Not today. Not today. 
for I will be merciful and gracious towards their sin. You need to remember that every day. God is merciful when I miss it. He's gracious towards my sin. It is absolutely sin when you sin. He's gracious. He's merciful. And he says, and I will remember their deeds of unrighteousness. I will remember their sins. No more. No more. You've got to have the same level of faith in that scripture as you do in John 3.16. If you've got no belief in this verse, stop believing in John 3.16. It's no different. It's no different. Lastly, Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll close with this. Hebrews 9, 28. He says, so also, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins. He will come again. Not deal with our sin. How many times have people been afraid about the second coming? All the time. First wave, oh, Jesus is coming. Second wave, oh, he must be coming halfway. Third wave, oh, he's 10 kilometers away. Third wave, never, third wave never showed up, at least here. So, maybe Jesus stopped for petrol. But we're f- afraid. Put your life in order. He's coming. He's... Why the fear? Why are you afraid that he's coming? Shouldn't we be jumping with joy and rejoicing why the fear you know why you know why Christians fear because we have an old covenant mindset and we think man he remembers everything I've done wrong he remembers I pushed that girl in first class I remember I cheated in my fifth class exam he remembered what I did in my tenth class he remembered when I saw that movie He remembered when I smoked the first time. He remembered when I used the bad word the first time. And where does this stop? Where does this stop? So he says, He will come again, not to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. How many of you are eagerly waiting? 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. No reason to fear. He loves you. That's why he's coming for you. Not to punish you. Well, you might say, but pastor, why isn't he going to deal with our sins? You know why? Oh, somebody, I heard that. That's right. You know why? Because it's already been dealt with on the cross. He did it once. He doesn't miss. He got the job done. He doesn't miss. You don't have to send Jesus twice for the same job. He did it the first time. The sin has been dealt with. There's no condemnation upon your life. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Be conscious of what Jesus has done for you. Let the grace of God minister to you. Let it bring life and life everlasting. Break free from guilt. Break free from condemnation. Break free from the past and break free from the shame today. In Jesus' name.